Hello, church. Pastor Robert, we're going to continue to look at our look at 1 Corinthians 3. That doesn't quite make sense. There's too many words in that sentence. We're going to continue to look at 1 Corinthians. That's what we're looking at. And so today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's what I meant. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the whole chapter. And Paul is continuing his look at wisdom. And last week we said that there are two types of people. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved by the power of God, the cross. And Paul's main point was was that the wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of man. And today Paul continues that thought. We're going to see Paul talk about two types of people again. And he's going to say that there are spiritual people and there are people of the flesh, infants in Christ. And for the rest of the book, for the rest of 1 Corinthians, Paul will continue again and again to contrast two types of people. This is going to be throughout the whole book. But now, though, Paul is not talking about people who are perishing and people who are being saved like last time. This week, Paul is talking about immature people and spiritual people. So what is the immaturity that Paul is addressing? We're going to go through this, right? But what he's going to say is that the church has had multiple leaders. The Corinthian church has had multiple leaders, whether it's Paul or Apollos or others that have come through. And they've spent time there. These leaders have spent time. They've invested in the church. But now some of the Corinthians think, oh, I follow that particular leader. That particular leader is my pastor. So let's read. Let's read like verses one to nine or so. It says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly or in the flesh, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly or in the flesh. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord is assigned to each task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters has one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labors. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. So there are two things to unpack from these verses, right? The first is that jealousy and quarreling are found in immature people. Jealousy and quarreling are found in immature people. What's happening here at the verse in, or in the church in Corinth is that there are jealous people, and they're jealous because they're like, I belong to Paul, I belong to Paulus. See, jealousy is really grounded in pride. Nobody is jealous of another without first being prideful in themselves. There's a lot of pride happening in the church of Corinth. They're putting their pride in Apollos or in Paul. And in verse 4, Paul says that those who say, I belong to Paul or I belong to Paulos, are merely human. And Paul is contrasting those who are spiritual with those who are flesh. Uh, One of the men who mentored me is this dude named Tom. He served at a church for seven years as a pastor before he retired. Well, he's at a number of churches over time. But at his last church, he was there seven years before he retired. His wife, Jan, and him, they bought a house a few blocks from the church. And when he retired, he, he left the church for a number of years so that the next pastor coming in could do their job. 
They didn't attend that church for years. But now, though, they've come back to that church. And an older guy in the church pulled Tom aside. That older guy, he never left the church. He stayed there. But he pulled Tom aside and said, Tom, I don't like this new pastor. So when I die, I want you to do my funeral. Tom said, well, I'm not your pastor anymore. And you'll be dead. So I'm not doing it. What's, what's with this guy's heart? This older guy in the church, what's, what's with his heart? It's prideful. He doesn't like the new pastor, and so he wants the old pastor to do his funeral. I know the new pastor. He's a good dude, and he's a good pastor. And it's like this, this older guy is trying to like stick his thumb in the new pastor's eye one last time with his funeral or something. When honestly, the, the new pastor, he doesn't care who does the funeral. If you're older and you're concerned that I might do your funeral, for one, grow up. In reality, here's what's happened. Like Paul, our Paul, has told me that he likes doing funerals. I don't know what's wrong with him. He likes doing funerals. And so I don't mind doing funerals. I could care less if I do one or not. So for any of you, unless you ask me specifically, if you were going to die, Paul's probably going to do your funeral. But please don't try to die. I like, I like you. But that brings up an application. How should we as a church see Paul and myself? Because Paul and I, we have this like strange relationship. Our titles are both pastor. We don't have a senior pastor. We don't have an associate pastor. We have two pastors. We co-pastor. Let's unpack this. Let's unpack this unique relationship that Paul and I have by looking at the text. Because Paul, the apostle, he continues on with a similar question. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants, through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. Who are Pastor Paul and who is Pastor Robert? We're servants. That's it. We could say that Paul has planted a seed. I've watered it, but God brings the growth. And Paul says, neither, Paul the apostle says, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who brings the growth. We're nothing, but God is everything. And we have a common purpose to build God's church. And so you, you don't belong to Pastor Paul, and you certainly don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, Paul, he changes the metaphor. He's been using the metaphor of a field with planting and harvesting. Now, though, he says, for we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. And he is going to use these next few verses to talk about the church as a building. He's switching from field to building. So let's go with him. Verse 10 to 17. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wide builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. It, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one 
escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So what is the role of a leader in a church? A leader, according to these verses, is somebody who builds up others. That's what a leader is supposed to do. They build others up. Max Dupree, he says that the first job of the leader is to define reality. The final job is to say thank you, and everything in between is to serve. And so Dupree is really embracing the insights of Paul with that quote. Paul has defined reality. He has said that some people are immaturely identifying themselves with their physical leaders and are causing jealousy and quarreling in the church. And now Paul is laying out his role as a servant. So that's what Max Dupree says. First job leader to find reality. Final job, say thank you. Everything in between is serve. Now Paul is saying, here's how I serve. Paul is reminding them that they are God's building. He laid a foundation on which Apollos built. Paul says the foundation that he laid in the church in Corinth was, this is verse 11, no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Paul recognizes that his work was incomplete, that he laid a foundation, and that Apollo says added a good thing to it. And Paul is saying a good servant builds on the foundation, but not every builder is good. Not every building is up to code. What they build needs to be tested. So Paul goes on. There are three outcomes that Paul lays out. He says some pastors and leaders, they build with gold, silver, precious stones. And when a fire, a trial of life comes, that building will stand. The leader who poured into you, who built with gold, silver, and stones is rewarded. But others, though, will build with wood, hay, straw. And when a fire comes, they'll be burned up. That leader will escape but they'll be burned as well. And Paul is saying how you respond to the trials of your life is a reflection of the leadership you've received. If you stand through the trials of your life, we've done well. But if you collapse, it's because my leadership was not good enough. And Paul lists three outcomes, building with gold, which stands the fire, building with wood or hay, which is burned up in the fire. And the third outcome is down in verse 17, those who tear down the building. There are unhealthy, immature Christians who tear down other Christians. Healthy Christians build up others and build up other Christians. And when trials come and those disciples, they stand strong. That leader's rewarded. When they are burned, the leader is burned as well. But what happens when a Christian leader tears down a Christian? 1 Corinthians three seventeen. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. That's harsh. But let me unpack this and apply it to myself. I want you to test my leadership. Try the things I say. And if they fail, I want to know. Healthy leaders embrace trials and tests of their leadership. This is the issue with attending a, a megachurch or embracing the teachings of a megachurch pastor. Right? There's nothing wrong with listening to a megachurch pastor. Don't get me wrong. You might get some good things from Stephen Furtick, Timothy Keller, Franklin Graham, or even his dad, Billy. And, but we hear this from people. Well, I go to Stephen Furtick's church. Well, I go to Andy Stanley's church. 
as a culture, what we've done is we've recreated the failures of Corinth. They've replaced Paul and Apollos with any number of celebrity pastors. But here's the issue. A celebrity pastor cannot disciple you. They cannot build on you. They cannot do what Paul is talking about here. They cannot speak into your specific situation. Why? Because they don't know you. They don't know you. They don't, they don't know you personally. They don't know your name or your kids' names. Here's the issue. We've seen more and more megachurches and megachurch pastors putting forward a pastor brand. And at the same time that we've seen more and more of these, we've seen faith grow shallower and shallower. It doesn't work. The megachurch brand, when done poorly, trades deep and hard discipleship for wide, shallow growth. In our country today, we have traded brick homes built slowly over years for wooden lean-tos erected at breakneck speed on the foundation of Jesus Christ that will crumble at the slightest bit of wind. So test my leadership. Are the people I'm pouring into surviving their fires? Am I building with stone or am I putting up a flimsy lean-to? How about the celebrity pastors that you listen to? What's happening to the people in their church? And Paul is saying, those who minister, those who minister in the church, here's why I can call them out. Paul is saying that those who minister in the church are responsible before God to teach and lead responsibly and faithfully. God will assess them for the quality of their work and they will be rewarded or punished accordingly. If I tear down God's people, his temple, God will tear me down in the judgment. That's a stern reminder for me as well as all leaders in any church. What does that mean for you? If you're not a leader in a church, what's that mean for you? It means find somebody. Find somebody who knows how to build with stone and follow them. Let them pour into your life. There are people who are ready and willing to help build onto the foundation of Jesus Christ, a faith in your life that stands the trials. Who? Who is building in your life? What are they building with? Are they building with stone? Are they building with gold? Are they building with hay? Or are they tearing you down? Let's read on, verse 18 to 23. It says, as it is written, he says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So Paul now, he returns to wisdom. And we must remember that the Corinthians, they trusted their own wisdom to discern what was right and good. Paul, though, is reminding them that they need only the wisdom of God. He then says that because God thwarts the wise... Let no one boast about human leaders. He is telling them, you've tried your way and it hasn't worked. You've tried to embrace this idea of, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, and it hasn't worked. So why don't you try God's way? And then at the end of verse 21, Paul says something very strange. He tells them, all things are yours. 
The Corinthians thought that they could use their wisdom to control their destiny. They thought they could plot and scheme to get their own way. They missed the point, though. All things are yours. So what are these all things? He says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all things are yours and you are of Christ and God and Christ is of God. What Paul means by everything is quite astonishing for it includes not only ministers, but also life and death and present and future. Everything is a gift to the Corinthians because they belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God and thus everything is theirs in Christ. Therefore, boasting in leaders is foolish because those who do so are satisfied with lesser things when the whole world is theirs. The Corinthians were riven by divisions and they failed to comprehend that falling prey to divisions was mistaken since every minister and every circumstance was for their benefit. And in verse 23, the basis for the stunning affirmations of verse 22, the promises of all things is given. The Corinthians do not enjoy these promises inherently. The promises are granted to them because they belong to Christ. And Jesus Christ is the enthroned king at God's right hand, the one who reigns over the universe. And just as Jesus is raised because of his relationship to God, it is because he belongs to God that he was victorious over death. And just as Jesus is raised because of his relationship to God, as God, we too enjoy the promises of God because of our relationship with him. That's what he means by you belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to God. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that I think really sums up how wrong the Corinthians were. Here's what he says. C.S. Lewis says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. There are so many things that we can focus on and lose sight of the big picture. And Paul has spent the last chapter admonishing the Corinthians for picking between their pastors when the offer of Jesus Christ hangs in the air. And you, you have your own thing that you can focus in on. Well, if it was just like this, if it would only, if my life were just like this, then it would be good. Or I do things this way, this is the way I do them, and so then this is the way I'm going to go. You could be focusing in on that at the same time that you, like, that's your mud pie. When Jesus is calling you, hey, leave that behind. I got something so much better for you. And Paul has spent the last chapter admonishing the Corinthians for picking between their pastors when the offer of Jesus Christ hangs in the air. And today we have that same offer. The offer of Jesus Christ remains the same through time. Infinite joy awaits those who will receive him. We must remember that we are a part of his story. We are building on him our foundation, a church of which you are all part of this story. I'm going to remind you of that. That in God's story, we live together as a memory. We live together in the memory that God has raised Jesus from the dead. 
It's not a dead or a sterile memory, but it's a living memory that informs our every actions and being. At all times, we remember that Jesus rose from the dead. And we live in the mystery. We live in the mystery that Jesus is alive today. And he is with us now. And he is building his church. That Paul plants Apollos waters, but God brings the growth. He is still building his church. That's a mystery that we can't comprehend. And finally, we are on mission. We've seen memory, mystery, mission. We are on mission that is not yet fulfilled. While God has been fully raised from the dead, his kingdom is not fully arrived. And so we live in this. We live in this tension of memory and mystery and mission of Jesus Christ that is all-encompassing. It transcends and destroys our own preferences on pastors and leaders or whatever mud pie we might be holding on to. And so you're invited. You're invited to come and live in that memory, mystery, mission, and to leave behind your past, to leave behind your mud pie, to leave behind your uncertainty, your unfamiliarity, um, your, un- your idea of, I don't know what's going to happen. And we leave behind your wandering days of going about doing whatever you wanted. And I invite you to take hold, to take hold of Jesus Christ and allow him to shape you. That I might plant, Paul might water, but God is going to grow you. I invite you into that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do just want to take a moment and invite you to reign over our lives. Would you teach us to live in the memory that you are alive and to live in the memory of all that you went through on the cross? Would you continue to reveal to us the mystery that is your continued presence here with us? that you are the one working to build us in ways that we don't see or understand yet. And Lord, would you invite us onto this mission to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we just ask this in your name, Lord. Would you do this for us? We pray this in your name. Amen.